Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. You know, when um, most of the time when you hear about the events on the Mount of the Transfiguration where Jesus Christ was transfigured before the disciples, they saw some of His glory and He met with Moses and Elijah. Um, most of the time when those texts are referenced, it has to do with biblical prophecy. Uh, when most people, when most preachers preach it, because of the issue of the two witnesses of the book of Revelation. Um, But that is not the primary teaching of these texts. So what we're going to do this morning is, in preparation uh, to remember the resurrection of Christ next week, the resurrection took place because He died, because He gave Himself. So this morning, I want us to think about the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what that was supposed to uh accomplish. And uh, so let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the scriptures. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Lord, there's so much in this book that we could never uh, completely uh, cover it. Lord, even in this topic this morning, there's more than we could ever do in one in one session. But Lord, help us to get a good overview of this account and what we should learn from it. And then Lord, help us to Live differently because of it. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who is not saved, they're not sure that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. Lord, I pray that today they will get that settled, that you will draw them to yourself by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look at Matthew 16, verse 21. The Bible says, From that time forth... Did I say Matthew 16? Is that right? Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Notice what it says, verse 21, from that time forth he began to show them. So it's not until Matthew chapter 16 that the disciples begin hearing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? So when he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10, they were announcing the kingdom of God. They were announcing that the king, the Messiah, was here. So look at verse uh, 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, Now stop right there for a minute. Now, I understand that we live in a time where respect is something that is, is pretty much gone. You know, young people will speak to adults as if they are their peers. And... Uh, people in, in authority are not respected, and um, you know, teachers struggle to control their classes because you know, they're not allowed to apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. And all of, all of these issues that we deal with, with this concept of respect, but this one is something else. Peter is rebuking the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a shocking statement. So he takes, let's look at verse 22 again. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, we need to see here, it's very clear that Peter didn't want Jesus to die. So it's not that Peter didn't want salvation to take place. He, didn't, he was not trying to deny eternal life for the rest of the world. But if Jesus had heard his request and listened and 
acquiesce to that request, then no one can ever be saved. Some of the things that we do out of love can have horrible consequences. Some of the things that we do out of the best intentions can have the worst and most horrible consequences. That is why our love, our desires, our, our uh, motivations have to fall under the authority of the Word of God. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It seems right, but it leads to death. And that's what Peter's request here would have done. Jesus said to him in verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. What do we have here? We have a man of God doing Satan's work. And this is where, this becomes very interesting. As pastor, my job, the, the, the pastor, that's the idea of the shepherd. And one of the things that the shepherd does is he warns the sheep about the wolves. Right? Hey, there's a wolf. There's a wolf. And so as pastor, when I identify a wolf, someone who may be teaching false doctrine, and I say, this man is teaching something that's evil, people get really offended. Isn't that interesting? Here we have Peter. Jesus calls him Satan. Why? Was Peter actually Satan? No. But what Peter was saying would have accomplished Satan's purposes. Going all the way back to the garden, Satan tried to undermine the word of God. Hath God said. He tried to corrupt the seed. Cain kills Abel. God has to provide another line through Seth and all of these things that go on, trying to kill the children of Israel, Pharaoh killing the children two years and younger, trying to stamp out the line of Jesus Christ, all the way through the Scriptures, all the way up to Herod, killing the children again, trying to stop the king of the Jews. Satan's attack on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would die for the sins of the world, and now here, the man of God is agreeing with Satan's plan. Ready? Listen. For the best of reasons. See, our, our loyalty is not to men. It is to the Word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let God be true and every man a liar. So I, I opened my message talking about respect. So we respect the teachers where they agree with God. And we identify error where they don't. Amen. But Peter's statement here, look at what he says. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, middle of verse 23. Thou art an offense unto me. Can you imagine Jesus Christ saying that to you? Young people, can you imagine if Jesus said that to you? You're an offense to me. That'd be awful, wouldn't it? I remember one time I was in high school and I'd been witnessing to this guy and he claimed to be an atheist and I was doing my best to witness to him. I was a senior in high school. And during a volleyball game at gym class, um, I had spiked a ball and hit, hit a guy in the face with it, which is awesome, by the way. And he got mad. And uh, so we ended up in a fight. And this guy was a Golden Gloves boxer or something, man. So I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting really well, <laughs> you know. And so I go into class, 
and my face is all bloody. And this Steve Roth was his name. He said, if I ever do become a Christian, I hope I'm not one like you. So not only did I get beat up, I got, I had undermined my testimony for Jesus Christ by my behavior. To me, it felt like this, where Jesus told Peter, thou art an offense to me. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you felt like that you had embarrassed your Lord? Anyone ever been like that? You don't want to be there again. If you've ever felt that, you don't want that to happen again. And that's what's going on in this text because of what Peter said, Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Look at uh, John, or look at chapter 17. Not John, but Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, so here's what's going on. After the confrontation with Peter, six days later, now notice that, six days. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. So notice that these events are connected. All right? Jesus Christ teaching about his death, Peter's, de Peter's denial of that message and Christ's rebuke of him. And then six days later, Jesus Christ is transfigured before them on the mount. Now, go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 32. Verse 31. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man... Now, you might want to mark that Son of Man. How many of you have ever noticed that Son of Man in your Bible? When you see that title for Christ, that's his humanity. All right? That's his humanity. That's referring to his humanity as opposed to referring to his deity. So let's look up here at me. I want to make sure that we understand something. When Jesus Christ came and was born of a virgin, he did not give up his deity. He was still God. Is that right? And yet he took on flesh. So if you saw him, you would just see a man. Is that right? He, he was uh, um, subject to the frailties of a human body. He would get tired. Uh, all of those things that, that come along with a human body, Jesus Christ, he took that on himself for us. Is that right? So when you see that, that, that title, the Son of Man, that's what it's referring to, His humanity. Now remember, don't miss this, He never stopped being God. So even while we're referring to His humanity, He's still the God-man. But this title draws attention to His humanity. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. What are the things that be of men? Well, men desire 
to avoid suffering. Right? You know, hey, let's all go and just hurt ourselves after church. That's, that's not our desire. I'm going to do everything I can to keep from pain. Is that right? And the, the other thing that we will do is we will do everything we can to keep our, the ones that we love from dying. I think that's what was behind Peter's rebuke of Christ. I think it was love. I think it was love. But he misunderstood why Jesus Christ came. Look at chapter 9 and verse 2. And after six days, Jesus take with him Peter. Now, do you see that after six days again? Connecting it back with his discussion about his death. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, Luke 9, 22. Luke 9, 22. All right, same account. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Look at verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings. Now notice, it's an eight days after, after these sayings. It was six days in the other. What's the difference? He tells his disciples about his death. Peter talks to him about it two days later. So the confrontation with Peter was six days before he went up to the mountain. His discussion about his death was eight days before he went up to the mountain. Okay? Now, look at what it says. And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. I like that word, glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Remember, Elias is the Greek pronunciation or spelling of Elijah. Who appeared in glory and spake of his, look at this, decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Now, let's just a couple of thoughts and then we'll look at some more scriptures. What we've done is we've looked at the accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration. There's another account, which is in First Peter, that we may look at this evening. But this, what has happened is he has told his disciples about his death, burial, and resurrection. All right? And then either six or eight days later, depending on the discussion... There, he takes Peter, James, and John, his inner core, up to the mountain, and he's transfigured. That is, some of his glory is revealed. Now, how do we know that it's some of his glory? Because they lived. 
right? If all of His glory were revealed, the heavens and the earth would flee away and there'd be found no place for them, as in Revelation chapter 20. All right, let's look at that just to make sure. Keep your place in Luke 9. Go to Revelation 20. Verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So when the elements melt with a fervent heat, when all of the world is destroyed, the heavens and the earth when they're destroyed, it's simply by the revealing of the glory of Jesus Christ. His righteous glory causes all sin to cease. So obviously He was glorified before them, but not all of His glory. We know that again. Again, keep Luke 9, but go to uh, John chapter 17. A message like this reminds me of my, my teacher in college, a man named Keith Kaiser. Some of you met him when he came here for my ordination. Um, he was preaching a message like this, and his mother afterwards said to him, Keith, if you don't know what passage of Scripture you're preaching that day, you need to learn it. She didn't like turning to all the different verses. She thought he was only supposed to be at one verse for the whole sermon. Um, so John chapter 17, look at verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. So this is before the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm sorry, this is after the Mount of Transfiguration. They, Jesus revealed His glory, but not all of it. It was enough to cause them to fall, but not all of His glory. Okay, back to John, or back to Luke chapter 9. So remember in verse 31, "...who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem." The topic here is not Christ ruling at Jerusalem. It's not his establishing an earthly kingdom. It's not his taking the government on his shoulder. The topic here is his death. But I want to show you something amazing. So here we are in uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet, and Jesus, the Messiah, all coming together for a discussion about the death of Jesus Christ. The death that he would accomplish. Now, if you don't have accomplish marked in your Bible, you need to mark it. Because as we've said many times, the death of Christ was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. You see, if Jesus had chosen to come to earth and stay alive, no one could have killed him. Isn't that right? If Jesus had chosen to, be, uh, to, to establish his kingdom at that moment, it would have been an everlasting kingdom that no one could ever take from him. If Jesus had chosen not to be beaten, not to be pierced, not to be uh, stabbed, if Jesus had chosen not to bear the crown of thorns, none of those things would have happened. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in the garden where they came to arrest him and they said, I think the question is, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And the whole army falls back. And then they asked him again. How many of you think the second asking was different? Are you Jesus? I am. 
um, are, 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 you, are you Jesus? <laughs> and Jesus said, let's go. Who captured who? Who captured whom? Nathaniel, Tenet, wherever you are. <laughs> it, it, it's, <laughs> it's really important that we get this. No man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. He gave himself. I almost preached that message again this morning. All those passages where he gave himself. But here he is with the lawgiver discussing how, I can just imagine this, all about the law that spoke of Jesus Christ's death. All about the prophets that spoke about Jesus Christ's death. That conversation taking place on the mountain about his death that he would accomplish. Remember, men could not kill the eternal Son of God. So we need to understand something about the law. The law made nothing perfect. Remember, Moses couldn't enter into the promised land because he had sinned. And what was his sin? He had struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Why? It violated God's type. Remember, in the Bible, prophecy for us, for the Western mind, is prediction. But for the Jews, prophecy is pattern. And that rock was Jesus. And Jesus will only be smitten once. He tasted death once for every man. Amen? So when when Moses hit that rock, it violated the picture that God was preparing for the Jews. When you mess with God's message... There's going, there are going to be consequences. And that's what happened with Moses. Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Elijah, the great prophet, the one who, who stood up to Jezebel and called down fire from heaven and destroyed the, the prophets of Baal on, on, the Mount, on Mount Carmel. When he did that, then what did he do? He ran and hid. Prayed that God would kill him. Why? Because he's just a man. He's man. The prophets can tell us about sin. The prophets can predict the Savior, but the law can't save and neither can the prophets. The only one on that mountain that could save and forgive sin was Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Moses could contribute little to the conversation. Elijah could contribute little to the conversation. But Jesus Christ could talk about how his death would be accomplished. That's an amazing thing. So there stands the great Elijah, representative of the prophets. There stands Moses, the representative of the law. But none of that could save. Only Jesus can. Now, look at verse 32. I want you to notice something. But Peter and they that were with him, Peter, James, and John, were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus' glory. Whose glory? His. They appeared in glory. Whose glory? Jesus's. You see, man doesn't have any glory. Man doesn't have any glory. Remember what the Bible says about God? My glory will I not share with another. He won't do it. He won't do it. Only Jesus Christ... Has glory. There's only one who manifested and made apparent the glory of God, and that is Jesus Christ. Everyone on that mountain had come short of that glory. Remember what the Bible says? For all have sinned and come short of 
the glory of God. So it was Jesus Christ's glory. Now look at verse 33 and look at the problem. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Why would it be good for them to be there? Did Peter deserve to be there? Did James and John deserve to be in the glory of Jesus? In a conversation with Moses and Elijah? No. No. Then look at what he says. It is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. See that? He didn't know what he was saying. Have you ever said something and then wished you hadn't? Right? What was it? It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought an idiot than to open it and remove all doubt. So here's Peter, and he's all excited, and he's caught up in the moment, in the glory of it. Let's build three tabernacles. What he did was he elevated man, and he diminished Christ. No man deserves to be elevated to that of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ certainly does not deserve to be demoted to equal status with the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets speak of him, and he came to fulfill it all. Wow. Listen to what James Knox wrote. Look at verse 34. I want you to see this verse 34. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Now, this is what James Knox wrote. The Mohammedan would have expected God to say, these are my beloved prophets. The liberal modernist would have expected God to say, these are all fine men. The evolutionist would be surprised to hear God speaking. (laughs) But there is a God and he did speak from heaven and he made it clear that there was one man on that mountain who was not Adam's son, but his. That's Jesus Christ. The Father silenced the most well-meaning suggestion that Jesus was one among many or a man among equals or merely human because He was human. Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God by Himself. So here's the thought that I want you to get from this whole discussion. That the death of Jesus Christ brought Him glory. The death of Jesus Christ brought him glory. Hold your place here in Luke and go with me to the book of Philippians. I I quote this passage probably almost weekly somewhere. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Let's build three tabernacles. See the problem? See the problem? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Now, this is very important that we see this. The death of Jesus Christ is not something that we skip over to get to Easter. The death of Jesus Christ is what give, it, it brings Him glory. Why? Because He's the only one who could do it. He was the only one who is capable of paying for the sins of every man who has ever lived and every man who would ever live after. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could do it. The other thing is, look at what back in Luke 9. Only Jesus, when you look at verse 35, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. You know what? There's only one beloved Son. There's only one beloved Son. If you're in Him, you're accepted in the Beloved. But there's only one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's only one. Only one begotten. Only one Beloved. That's it. He's the only one who could die for the sins of the world. Now, Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Moses and Elijah appeared there. Now, you know, we talk about that as if it's no big thing. How long had Moses been dead by that point? A couple thousand years? Hello? About 1,400 years maybe? Elijah, 700 years probably? They'd been gone that long. And here are these two guys who were dead standing there talking to Jesus. How about that? Can you imagine what that conversation was like? It's an unbelievable concept. And yet, there's another mountain. It's Mount Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified. Do you know who Jesus Christ died for on that mountain? He died for Peter. He died for James. He died for John. But He also died for Moses and Elijah. You see, that sacrifice, they died in faith believing, but they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believed the light that God had given him, that given them. They obeyed the light that He had given them. And by their faith in what God had told them, God granted them eternal life. But that life is still in Jesus Christ. If Jesus hadn't died, they could not have even had that life. And so, what was the Mount of Transfiguration about? The Mount of Transfiguration was about the decease which He would accomplish. Do you know what else He accomplished? When he died, that accomplishment, that accomplished the opportunity for you and me to have eternal life. Because he lives, we can live also. And that's what we'll look at next week, his resurrection. But his death, the reason he died was because you and I will die. You and I deserve to die and go to hell. Uh, let me, I'm done. I'm going to be finished earlier than normal. Um, this is the last thought that I want to leave you. I had a pastor call me this week, and he said, uh, Jim, I'm reading the lives of people from the 17 and 1800s and their conversions. And in, in every case, 
these, these people, they were in great turmoil over their own sinfulness. Y'all listening? They were in great toil over their own sinfulness. When they recognized the truth of the Word of God, that we are sinners and that we deserve hell, the depth of their own sinfulness came before them, and they were very distraught about their own sinful condition. I don't really see that anymore. Yeah, I'll accept Jesus. Yeah, I'll take it. Free. Yeah, heaven. Awesome. That eternal life comes as a result of Christ's sacrifice, but it's applied to our lives as a result of repentance. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. What do we have to repent toward God for? Because of our sinfulness. Why did Jesus... Do you realize what happened to Jesus, the Son of God? He was beaten until He no longer looked like a man. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and people saw Him, they didn't recognize Him. Why? The Bible says that He gave His cheeks to the smiters. They, they took His beard and pulled His face off. His face was gone. That's what happened to Jesus. He was beaten so much, according to the Scriptures, that He was not recognizable as a man. He didn't look like a human being. That's how badly He looked. That's how badly He was beaten. And that's how awful He looked. When He was hanging on the cross, He looked like a piece of meat. When that cat of nine tails... Nine strips of leather with rock or stone embedded in them. And they would, according to the scriptures, they would put furrows like, like a row that's plowed. Put furrows in his skin each time they hit him 39 times with that. Nine times 39. That's how many stripes were taken from him. It would wrap around the body and then be yanked off and entire hunks of flesh would come off with it. Then he was, they took that crown of thorns and they took it with rods and they beat it down into his scalp. And then they, they put a robe on him and then they ripped it off. And then they took rough-hewn wood and put it on that, that pulverized back. And then he had to drag it to the place of execution while he's being spat upon and mocked. And that's not even the worst part. Then they took the spikes and drove them through his hands and his feet and lifted them up and dropped them into a hole. And that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the sin of the whole world being placed on a righteous and holy God. Why did he do that? Because of your sin. Because of my sin. It's not a light thing. It's not a flippant thing. I don't know that we understand sinfulness anymore. The wickedness of the human condition. That's why Jesus Christ had to die. And He's the only one who could do it. The strength of His, of his physical nature. The man, the Son of Man. I don't think most men could have lived long enough to make it to the cross. But he did. 
for you and for me. And then when you look at the seven sayings that he had on the cross, it was all love. It was all love. I often think of where he says he could have called ten legions of angels. That would have been enough to kill 13 billion people. He could have done that. I think about the angels watching this happen. And I can just see them perched, waiting for the signal, let us go. Let us go. And Jesus held them all back. Why? Because He had come to die for you and for me. He had come to die. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, for our sins. The good news is if you're genuinely saved, God doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. But if you're lost, if you're not genuinely converted, then you're going to go to hell and suffer in eternal torment when Jesus Christ paid it for you. What's the Mount of Transfiguration about? The death that He would accomplish. The law can't save you. The prophets can't save you. But Jesus Christ can. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word.